0: Control, looking deep pattern downfield touchdown Miami what a throw Devontae Parker <laughs> holy smokes what a drive what is up Dolph fans and welcome to the drive time podcast part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? It's a Thursday. I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show it's a preview Thursday. We played a game one week ago but we'll have to wait three more days for this one as the Dolphins travel up to MetLife and bring a bunch of rowdy fans with them including myself Seth Levin, and O.J. McDuffie for the MetLife Takeover. We'll break this game down with an introduction to the current Jets, position-by-position position matchups, the three keys to the game, and how Miami can win their third straight from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins time for a preview podcast and a trip to jersey to take on the new york jets as we do every week here on the preview edition we start with an intro into our opponent the first time this season dolphins and jets and they actually will break a deadlock in this game provided there's no tie 55 to 55 to 1 all time in this series and we're gonna see this team twice in a four-week span and i always like saying It's a team with the wrong shade of green, and I know Aqua isn't technically green. I think it's more on the blue side of the spectrum, if I'm correct on that, but it still works, right? I mean, I remember seeing a promo for College Hoops back in, like, I don't know, 2002. I used to be really into the Tar Heels and and, uh, Blue Devils rivalry, like the Antoine Jameson days, and I think that was about as good as it ever got. Maybe I'm wrong on that. You basketball fans can correct me. But anyway, there was a promo for that game that ran for like a week up to it. And the voiceover on the promo said something to the effect of two teams separated by only eight miles and six shades of blue or something like that. And now I apply it to my own personal most hated division rival. It is Jets week. And as I mentioned on the Seth and OJ podcast, The Rex Ryan years was what really stirred up the vitriol for me, but since then, it's been a rough road for our division rivals up to the north. They won 59 games the last 10 years, and only two teams had less victories over that span in Cleveland and Jacksonville. Are you guys fans of the Around the NFL podcast on NFL Media I'm always privy to the successes and failures of our AFC East rivals, but Dan Hansis, the host of that podcast, is as diehard for the Jets as we all are for the Dolphins, and he has talked a lot about how devoid of joy the last decade of football has been for the Jet fan, and even more so you know, these last five or six years. And in fact, the first year I began listening to the ATN pod was the offseason of 2016 when they were coming off a 10-win season in which they had a chance to go into Buffalo in Week 17 win and get in and I believe that Buffalo team was either 6 or 7 win team that season and the Jets came up short behind the arm of Ryan Fitzpatrick he had 3 picks in that game but since then it's been a really rough go for them from 2016 to present 5 and 11 5 and 11, 4 and 12 7 and 9 which was kind of propped up at the back end of the schedule after a slow start and a softer part of the schedule and they kind of won some games there down the stretch then 2 and 14 and now currently 2 and 7 But those wins this year came against the Titans and Bengals. So don't think they won't pick you off. You cannot have that mindset. You have to get that in there. But this segment is more about how the Jets got to this current place. And as we do every week on the preview podcast, want to talk about this team. And actually... I think they are on the right track it's just too early into their process to truly evaluate the win-loss total that first year on a, on a kind of teardown rebuild it, the win-loss total thing not that big of a deal to me for the most part but i think joe douglas has done a fantastic job of really maximizing the resources and assets that he had namely parlaying jamal adams you know into a into a pair of first round draft picks for a guy who, right now, you know, he's a pressure and run defense safety who's just not doing a whole lot for the Seahawks on that side of the football. And to get two first rounders and possibly a top 10 pick next year, which I believe will go below that because the Seahawks' current struggles will probably stop now that Russell Wilson's back at the controls. But that's besides the point. They maximized that resource the way Miami did with their resources back in 2019, right? In a lot of ways, it was kind of Miami's approach in that same time span. Anytime you're presented better than market value, or I should say at least the perceived market value, you want to capitalize on that. And if you do that enough times repeatedly, you'll start to see it kind of bear fruit for you Process, 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 right? We talk about that all the time. That's kind of the theme of the Drive Time podcast. Now, some of their draft capital has had some injury problems. Makai Becton looked like a future all-pro before the medical began to take a toll on him, and he's a big-bodied dude. I love Elijah Vera Tucker, although I'm not crazy about spending multiple mid-round draft picks to go up for one guy on the offensive line when they really had multiple spots to fill this offseason. But at the end of the day, you get a good player in Elijah Vera Tucker. I thought Elijah Moore was an absolute steal for them in the second round. Quinnen Williams is a true shop wrecker, so was John Franklin Myers. Michael Carter, the running back, they also have a cornerback by the same name, is having a stellar rookie season. And I thought Corey Davis was a nice signing this offseason to give Zach Wilson some more weapons. So they're loaded with draft capital and have a very young team. And this year is certainly one for building for them. But the one thing you always want to see in those kind of rebuilding years is the flashes, right? And I mean, we all pointed as Dolphins fans in 2019 to the Eagles and Patriots victories and rightly so as great signs of progress. And the Jets have a pair of wins over the best team right now as far as record goes in the AFC in Tennessee and another playoff contender in the 5-4 and four Bengals who have kind of fallen off since that loss. But again... A competitive team. So this league, you always got to bring your best. It'll be interesting to see how these two teams progress in their different stages of building under their young first-time coaches. But enough of that, let's get to the game on Sunday. And as we do weekly, we start with the Jet quarterback against the Miami Safeties. And first off, major thanks to the Jets for announcing early on Wednesday before recording this podcast that it would be Joe Flacco starting under center For the Jets, Robert Sala announced this, citing Flacco's experience over Mike White, who threw four picks in their loss to Buffalo last week after Jets fans were kind of excited to see if maybe he could upend Zach Wilson's early start here to his career. That obviously will not happen now. But Zach Wilson's at the four-week mark of a two-to-four-week injury, so giving him a little more time to heal up, you have to imagine we'd see him in that game down here at Hard Rock Stadium in about a month. But it's Flacco for now. And this is intriguing to me for a number of reasons. I'm sure the topic of last year's game, a Dolphins shutout over Flacco and the Jets, will make its rounds on Twitter and the pregame shows and whatnot. But I don't think that plays here. Obviously, both teams are going to be different from the year ago. But that system couldn't be more different than it is now. And truthfully, I think the idea of Mike LaFleur coming from that NFL current predominant system of that Shanahan McVeigh tree and system to kind of construct a play action slash boot heavy attack to maximize Zach Wilson's ability to kind of go off platform off script and throw from different arm angles with the arm talent and mobility he has but again he's not in the lineup this week so how does that system mesh with what Joe Flacco does well Flacco isn't going to be a part of design runs he's not going to be your Wildcat RPO or, or zone read quarterback out of the pistol, he's just not going to beat your contain on rollouts, but he does have a giant arm and can drive the football field the football down the field, so you definitely have to be privy to some of those deep passing concepts. He steps into an offense that currently operates almost exclusively out of two packages, 11 personnel, which of course is the NFL's bread and butter, 63% And then this year, you've seen a huge increase in 12 personnel across the league. That's one back, two tight ends, and two receivers at 26%. So if my math is right, that's 89%. And honestly, it's a very standard look in today's NFL. Not a bunch of two-back sets, which was something Flacco had a bunch of success with up in Baltimore, as well as 12 personnel. And obviously, he's made four stops with three teams since that time, with Broncos, Jets, Eagles now back boomeranging to the Jets once more. But their only other offensive package with more than 2% utilization is 10 personnel. That's one back, no tight ends, four receiver set. So you generally know what you're getting with this Jets offense as far as personnel goes. And we saw Miami have a bunch of success against both 12 and 21 personnel. The heavy approach of the Baltimore Ravens, obviously vastly different quarterbacks and offenses. But I'm really intrigued to see what they cook up after that game plan they rolled out last week it was brilliant tasted great five stars but we get to the Miami safeties here or before we do I should say here is exactly what Salah said of the decision to go with Joe Flacco quote Joe one of the reasons we got Joe was the experience part of it not only for the playing ability for the room, but also situations just like this. Miami's got a dynamic coverage situation when it pertains to the defense with cover zero and all the different coverages that they run. Joe's been kind of, or kind of been there, done that, and just kind of steadying experience that we felt like would put us in the best position to win this game. So there you go. We've covered a lot of the safety play for the Dolphins over the last few weeks, and that's because these two guys are just playing really good ball right now. And actually it's three because Eric Rose having his best stretch of the season as well. And it's been through plenty of blitzing as we've noted here on the podcast and otherwise. And while I don't have the blitz numbers on Flacco this year, because, well, he just took three snaps for the first time this season in mop up duty against Buffalo. And he actually went three for three for 47 yards and a Teddy. Good for him. Good for Joe. But last year in that game against Miami, the Dolphins sent an extra rusher on 22 of his 47 dropbacks. So, a little less than 50%, I know that math enough, at least. Against the Blitz, Flacco was 10-for-23 with four sacks, 88 yards, and a pick. So it was very effective against him a year ago. Will it be this year? He's got better weapons and a better offensive line and a different system, so we'll find out. And just to finish it off, we talked about the LaFleur and Shanahan-McVay connection there. Miami played both of those teams last year, the Rams and the Niners, and had great game plans for really all those wide runs, the quarterback boots and blitzing to flash color. But then once you flash the color and force a Jared Goff or a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Joe Flacco to kind of hitch and tuck the ball and try to protect himself as he climbs and searches for an escape route, that's when you can have a lot of success and put hits on the quarterback, negatively impact their down and distance situation. Maybe you force an errant throw. And those were two of the Dolphins' most successful game plans a year ago where they really pressured the naked boot option off the wide runs to really contain the edge from both the run and the quarterback trying to leak out and give himself a clean pocket, which I'm sure you'll see some of that in this game. I'll be curious to see how Miami goes after that. And really, if you look at the average points allowed, takeaways, third down comparison against those two opponents a year ago compared to what they do What they did against everybody else, it was a huge departure for this Dolphins defense to get those teams off track. So hopefully we see that again. But I'm just generally curious to see the plan and adjustment for both sides. And Miami's going to need both Holland and Jones to continue disguising the coverages and making plays on the back end. Moving out wide to the Jets receivers slash tight end versus the Miami cornerbacks. They made two additions this offseason that really bolstered this unit from the one we saw a year ago. Corey Davis is a big, strong, physically gifted receiver, you know, physically gifted enough to go fifth overall in the draft a few years back to the Tennessee Titans. And before we get into these matchups, I found it interesting that in 44 coverage snaps a week ago, Tredavious White for Buffalo saw just two pass targets against the Jets. So they went away from him and you can watch it on tape. They didn't want any part of Trey White. Will the story be the same here this week regarding Xavier Howard? I mean, Byron Jones is pretty damn good too, but X did get a pick in both Jets games last week's, so might not be the worst idea. But as for Davis, a lot of his work came late in the game when the result was already in hand. He's been their go-to guy for 442 receiving yards in the season and four touchdowns, but he's catching less than 60% of his targets. While Elijah Moore has kind of come on here late in the season, he has 274 yards in far more limited time, but he's starting to come on here for this Jets offense. He's going to get open. He's a tough ask inside. He's one of those glue hands guys that just catches everything that doesn't really make sense to you. And in a game where you obviously want to get pressure on Flacco, he might be that quick outlet that you want to take away off the top to force Flacco into a secondary decision or to hold the ball for an extra beat and look elsewhere. They also love to get the football to Michael Carter in space or on those quick checkdowns. More on that here in just one moment. So whether that's a bracket or a double team or even chipping and disrupting the release of a Elijah Moore with a backer or an edge defender, I think you probably want to get hands on him early in the route and make him take some more time to get to that release. You don't want to get any quick access here for Elijah Moore in this game. And they're going to find a way to, to stack him and to motion him and get him clean access. So just keep an eye on Elijah Moore. I think he's kind of the key to the offensive game plan here for the Jets. After that, it's kind of a mixture of guys that, they, that have made play slash been active options for the Jets this season. I mean, Denzel Mims, he's only been up for six games after a rookie season where he looked like he might be a solution there. Jamison Crowder, same deal, six games. Keelan Cole, a guy that's only seen 29 targets. So when I look at who takes who, I have to imagine the Jets will move guys around because they just are not beholden to one guy at one position with this receiving core and kind of buying into that flexibility mindset. So they're going to try to dictate matchups. But my thing here, again, Elijah Moore, I think he's the answer to the quick game for them. And again, kind of one thing that this offense does is condense the field and forces you to play inside. So that can also kind of help Miami with regards to getting extra hats in the box, but also kind of the pressure package. And I think that's where the success came from a year ago where you have you know, this wide zone and kind of misdirection and and get linebackers taking false steps and create windows in the passing game with all that eye candy. Because of those condensed packages, you can then get even more creative with your rush and who bails out because there's not as much distance to cover when you do bail out. So I think it's kind of beneficial to Miami in that regard. And of course, your primary answer for the Jet passing game is the blocking up front, which takes us to the Dolphins' defensive line versus the Jets' offensive line. Some pressure numbers here for these big dudes. Still no Makai Becton back for the Jets, so we get a look at the Fant-slash-Moses tackle combo with Vera Tucker, McGovern, and Van Roten inside. Just the the name power alone. Another tip of the hat here to Joe Douglas for getting this line at least partially turned around from what it had been in years prior Obviously, still some work to go, but getting Moses really kind of save them from having to go to the practice squad for a swing tackle with Chuma Adoga also down. Moses and Fan obviously playing a lot now at those positions. And that veteran presence inside, I think, can really help along with first rounder Elijah Vera Tucker. So for 423 total snaps on this offensive line, uh, Greg Van Roten. Elijah Vera Tucker and Connor McGovern have all played wire to wire. Moses on 392 pass blocking snaps and Fant 386. So pretty good continuity there. They just haven't had, well, those tackles they normally had for most of the season. But Fant, 14 pressures allowed, two sacks and no hits. He's been by far their best offensive lineman in pass protection. Vera Tucker, 27 pressures, 1 sack and 5 hits. McGovern, 13 pressures, 3 sacks and no hits. Van Roten, 32 pressures, 3 sacks and a hit. With Moses getting 29 pressures, 2 sacks and 8 hits on him. And a few things here stand out to me. George Fant has been really good. He was a guy that I actually targeted a couple of years back as a possible free agent idea just because of his athletic ability and length and the, the, the size composition that he fits with the Dolphins down here, but he wound up with the Jets. Moses has been solid despite the high pressure total, and then the guard positions have been kind of vulnerable, not just in terms of total pressures allowed, but converting those pressures into sacks, and that's a sign that those guys kind of, when they get beat, it's not good for them. Even over the center position where McGovern has allowed just 13 pressures this season, so how do teams get those pressures? Well, Van Roten allowed nine pressures the last two weeks against Indian Buffalo. That's a Grover-Stewart-DeForest-Buckner combination, which... Two different players. One's long and strong and incredibly powerful with with wicked hands. And Grover Stewart's more of a squatty body power guy that can run through you. And then Buffalo has kind of the same mindset there. Ed Oliver, he's more of your Buckner. Where Starla Tulele is more of your Grover Stewart. But he had a two-game stretch with 13 pressures allowed back in weeks two and three versus Denver and New England. And those are completely different schemes stylistically. So I guess there's different ways to approach this. But to be fair, he did bounce back with one pressure allowed against that tough Patriots front-slash-system just five weeks later. Might be an area for the Dolphins to attack there. Elijah Vera Tucker, 13 pressures over the last three weeks against the Bengals. Colts and Bills, obviously, same as the above players. But his lowest PFF pass-blocking grades occurred the last two weeks. So maybe there's something happening there. And you know what? As we kind of continue this, this is just a theme for this team. A lot of the pressures have occurred over the last few weeks, and that coincides with the QB change. QB change. Quarterback change. Obviously, Zach Wilson was and is a very mobile quarterback, so an adjustment period for them to get a little more familiar with a more of a pocket-style quarterback And no quarterback is more of a pocket quarterback than Joe Flacco. But back to the offensive line. Moses, 12 pressures the last three weeks against that same group, six against the Colts, and Kamoko Teray had a great game there. So did Quiddy Pei. And, you know, Teray and Pei kind of – actually, that's a bad rhyme. I'm trying to go for a stupid rhyme. But Teray compares kind of – in the same mold of Ogba with the length and that first step quickness. But it was Quiddy Pay who had the biggest game there. He had nine pressures working both sides of the offensive line. And what does he have? He's an explosive first step rusher and the ability to really work through contact and shed blocks. Again, two things I think are real strengths of both Jalen Phillips and Emmanuel Ogba. So trying to find that matchup pairing there that looks good for the Dolphins. And working off that left side, Fant has only allowed three pressures or more in just one game. And that was last week, but obviously that was a ton of pass attempts because that game got out of hand quickly for the Jets up in Buffalo. Maybe it was in New York, I can't remember. But just one pressure allowed in two games against the Patriots. So I think the idea here I'm trying to get to is the interior rush kind of takes precedence, and that's where Miami's really, really good and has a lot of those games they can call upon. Adam Butler's first step, quickness I think comes into play here. Christian Wilkins and what he's done all season long. Obviously, Zach Sealer getting after it, Raquan Davis. I like that matchup for Miami inside with those guys going up against this kind of young and experienced Jets interior. So that's what I think Miami can exploit in this matchup condensing guys inside and, and getting that kind of look where Phillips goes into the three tech or the four eye. Same for Emmanuel Ogba, showing pressure with backers and safeties, mug up those games up inside. Butler setting the table. Wilkins getting the job done. Ogbon and Phillips pairing up together on the same side of the formation to get in position to come off the edge or inside. Interesting matchup here. I like Miami's chances. Let's go ahead and finish up with a position group that has one of my favorite players in this past year's draft class, and that's the Jets running back versus Dolphins linebackers. Michael Carter formerly of North Carolina, and I liked Javante Williams a lot too, is up to 52% of their workload. And that's actually been pretty consistent since the beginning of the season. He's got speed to burn. If he gets clear into the second level, he can turn a chunk gain into a home run. Even though his season long is 18 yards, he only has two runs of plus 15 yards this season. Just don't let him get out of the gate because we saw what he can do down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile in that arena. Can't have that. Also the passing game production, he leads the team in receptions and they'll just they'll do it almost exclusively from the backfield. He has just 37 of his 321 snaps coming anywhere besides the backfield, so Texas routes, flats, screens, that type of thing. And with Vera Tucker as kind of a lead guy, you can see why. But once again though, there's a spike in his workload based upon the change of quarterback. and the old adage says that young quarterbacks rely on backs and tight ends more, right? And since Mike White entered the lineup, Carter has 29 targets, where prior to that, in the first five games with Zach Wilson, a rookie, he had just 13. So will that continue with Joe Flacco? I don't know the answer to that. But if it does, Miami has options, and I would imagine one of those options is to just directly blitz at him and force him to stay in. Like, hey, you got to pick me up, because if you can't get into the route when your scan produces an alert, like, ping, got to go get that guy in pass pro then you're not going to be able to get in your passing routes. That might be one way you can limit Michael Carter's receding production in this game. They also throw the football a lot to Ty Johnson, the other running back that plays the most. Uh, we'll, we saw last week with the speed at the linebacker position, really benefiting Miami in that game with Jerome Baker, Andrew Van Ginkle, Jalen Phillips. I think they need the same thing here this week against this Jets offense. On to the other side. Hello from the... No, I'm not going to do the Adele. Dolphins quarterback versus Jets safeties. Tua is expected to start this game, as Brian Flores told us on Wednesday. And if you haven't seen it already, make sure you go back and check out Tungabailoa's press conference on Wednesday and keep a close eye on the very end when he does a little dance for us at the podium. It's uh, I don't know how you can't love Tua. He's the best. But he sure does hold the attention of the press when he does media in that little room back there here up in our building. But as for the game goes, Marcus May went on injury reserve last week, and they went back to Jared Wilson Last week, after he didn't play since the Week 5 game in London against the Falcons, Wilson is a coverage-slash-run defender. In fact, both safeties are. Just four pass-rush attempts on his 176 total snaps. And he's been pretty solid in run defense, which checks out because Ashton Davis is more of a coverage guy. He was a slot-safety combo at Cal. He was a coverage dynamo and a playmaker there, but it hasn't quite clicked for him here yet. One of my favorite players in that that year's draft cycle, but he also does not blitz. Three pass rush attempts on 321 total reps this season. It hasn't been as smooth of a transition. He's been targeted 18 times and allowed 17 catches this season. That's going to be a theme throughout the podcast here for the Dolphins offense As a whole, the Jets are surrendering explosive plays on 13% of their pass plays. Those are 20-plus yard gains, and that's 32nd in the National Football League in that ranking. And again, to kind of bring this back to Salah's philosophy, when he was with the 49ers, it was aggressive, one-gap penetrating style to crank up the heat with those guys and play coverage. So perhaps Miami has a little more time to set up longer developing plays and some shot plays down the football field. I mean, we saw Jalen Waddle catch some routes, some deep over routes, some of those deep crossers the last couple of weeks, and those came from max pro looks, working off play action, or just finding ways to create those clean pockets. But the Jets on balance blitz 25% of the time. It's actually middle of the pack, and that probably has a lot more to do with the personnel, opposed to what they had in San Francisco with Joey Bosa and DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead and all the guys they had to bring pressure on the quarterback. But their pressure rate is 20th at 23.9%. I'll be curious to see... If they do that this time around, or if there's some adapting to try to maximize the opportunity with the big plays this Jets defense has allowed. You don't just show up and hit it. you got to execute. But how will Miami try that? Because as it pertains to Tua, I mean, we've seen teams approach him differently all season long. Buffalo brought the heat and really helped limit the offense in both those outings, albeit for just a few snaps the first time around. But the Patriots played more coverage and rarely blitzed Tua in that game, and he made some big plays. Two 30-plus yard completions in that game but the offense ultimately only had three scoring drives and outside of those big plays and the three scoring drives wasn't much cooking for the Miami offense and the Falcons did the exact same thing, played coverage and he threw for four touchdown passes in that game. And one way he can replicate that success is from some help from his friends taking us into our next matchup here, the Dolphins receivers and tight ends against the Jets cornerbacks. Again, Jalen Waddell. He's seeing an increasing role at the receiver position. We heard Coach Grisard talk a little bit about him playing outside more last week. And Tua talked about this Wednesday, how having guys that play every position makes his job easier to identify matchups. And that's going to be the theme of the week for me here. Who do the Jets have in that back end? Well, Marcus May is out. LaMarcus Joyner was hurt in game one, only played nine snaps after signing here as a free agent. He's gone for the season. Their best cover guy has been Bryce Hall, who they were able to get late in the draft because of an injury his final year there at Virginia. He was like cornerback one, I think, for a lot of folks before the injury, but he starts alongside Brandon Eccles last week. And then Javelin Guidry played the same number of snaps as Eccles, both 29 snaps each. So they're really going by committee there, though. Michael Carter, not the running back, a different player, is second in snaps at the position with 426. This is a unit that was coming into the season, an area they had to focus on, you know, next offseason, a little bit undermanned coming into the year because they're rebuilding, right? They can't do every position at once, but it has really been bitten by the injury bug. So I think about finding matchups as it usually is, you know, I'll be curious to find out if Miami will find their rabbit, the guy they want to go after and attack relentlessly Or will it be more about feeding someone specifically on your own offense? And just kind of looking at some of the numbers here from coverage standpoint, Bryce Hall, 356 coverage snaps, allowed 337 yards and three touchdowns. Carter, 267 in coverage, 319 yards, 75.6% completion rate. Eccles, 257 coverage snaps, just 112 yards. And Javelin Guidry, 136 coverage snaps, 176 yards there. So Guidry, mostly an outside corner, 18 reps in the slot. Eccles has just two slot reps. And then Bryce Hall has not played in the slot at all. So they'll use a combination of backs and safeties to help fill that role. But last week with Cole Beasley for the Buffalo Bills, he only saw two targets for 15 yards. Both were catches. But teams have gone back and forth in terms of who they go after inside or outside, Michael Carter, Bryce Hall, Brandon Echols, or Javelin Guidry. So I just don't, I don't think it's about trying to go over the matchups here. Miami likes to move people around, and I think it'll be a play-by-play deal. To just find out who you want to go after, there's options there. But in order to do that, how about the pass protection up front? Dolphins offensive line versus the Jets defensive line, and this is where the Jets' strength lies on the D line, particularly inside with big old Quinn and Williams. What an impressive player! 23 pressures this year, 20 run stops. He does everything. So does John Franklin Myers, one of the most underrated players in the league. And I blame that on a very generic name. Like if it was Skid Bart Boop Bop, he'd probably be a lot more popular, right? And that's yeah. Go ahead and isolate that sound for your <laughs> for Twitter but anyway John Franklin Myers this guy is outstanding you have to find a way to not let these two guys wreck the game the Jets were pretty excited back in camp with the prospect of wrecking things inside with those two guys and then Carl Lawson doing his thing off the edge but Lawson was lost for the season back in training camp and after those two guys there is a significant drop off in pressure numbers because Bryce Huff the edge player, is third on the team with just 13 quarterback pressures. Luckily for Miami, the pass pro on the interior has been solid this year, so it could be a big week for the tackles in their one-on-one matchups where you kind of slide to help with those interior bodies, which to me would say you might get some instances where you have – either of your tackle in one-on-one situations with one pass rusher and you try to help otherwise, it's going to be a big matchup there if that is the case, but John Franklin Myers had nine pressures in the win over Tennessee and Williams had five in that game so there you go, that's how they won at least one of their games, half of their games with those two guys inside piling up 14 quarterback pressures, they had just three in the Bengals win but that game was a shootout the Mike White game so you found out how they won that one yeah there's a little some weird bounces here and there but finally we don't want to be one dimensional right so the dolphins running back versus jets linebackers but first before we talk about the running game as pass rushers mosley leads all jet linebackers with 39 pass rush reps and just 3 quarterback pressures and I'll be curious to see how Miami wants to play this because you can obviously dictate defensive packages with your own personnel We've seen Miami run more 12 personnel than anybody else in the league. So do they want to get more linebackers on the field or do they want to go after that secondary? Well, both matchups are pretty favorable. Both Mosley and Quincy Williams play a significant number of reps in coverage and they've combined to be hit for 59 catches on 70 targets. Mosley, 38 receptions on 42 targets. Combined, that's 84% completion for 515 yards and 399 of those yards have come after the catch. So tight ends and backs I mean, really the whole gamut. There's really options across the board, but also you want to find a way to balance that in the running game. If it's not working, though, I would just find a way to go after these guys in coverage because they've had a tough time all year long. And over the last four games since 1960, nobody's allowed more points in a four-game stretch than that Jets defense, so... There's your opportunity. Special teams, DVOA rankings, Dolphins 25th, Jets 15th. Their punter, or rather their kicker, check that. Matt Amendola is 10 for 13. He's 0 for 2, though, from beyond 50 yards. His other miss came in the 40 to 49-yard range. And Thomas Morstead averages 48.2 yards per punt with Braxton Berrios, their primary return man, just six punt returns. They don't really get very many punt opportunities there, but he does average a nice 12.8 yards per punt return and also 24.7 yards on 13 kick returns. The Dolphins will win this game if the defense keeps it up. I mean, if they play like they have the last three weeks, they're going to suffocate this Jets' offense. And if they can get pressure on the quarterback out of the multiple looks they've executed in those games over the last couple of weeks, it's going to be another tough day of sledding for the opposing offense. And then Miami can execute their complimentary game plan on the offensive side. The Jets will win if Quentin Williams and John Franklin Myers ruin the game that Miami wants to execute by crashing the interior pocket and wiping out the run game. Can't have that. Don't hit the quarterback. Three keys of the game, generate pressure on Flacco and account for Elijah Moore and Michael Carter in the passing game. Get that pressure, take away the first option, force him into tucking the ball and hitching up and get your quarterback pressure and mistakes from that. Big plays on offense. This is the 32nd ranked big play defense in terms of big plays allowed and the 31st ranked big play defense on the running game. So both run and pass game can allow big plays. And number three, don't let defensive tackles, Quinnen Williams and John Franklin Myers ruin the game. Thursday night football, Patriots and Falcons. I really want to take the Falcons here, but if Cordell Patterson can't go, which I don't know if he will, I probably got to go Pats even on the road on a Thursday night. I I hate to say it, but I think I'm going Patriots here to beat the Falcons on Thursday night football. All right, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast and the post-game show on 560WQAM with myself, with Seth Levitt, and OJ McDuffie. We are all going to be up there for the MetLife Takeover. We're going to be at Slattery's on Saturday, so come by and say what's up. It's a massive Dolphins bar. We're trying to get in front of as many of you as we possibly can, so come say hi to us. Check out our YouTube channel for for all the recent media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today and, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy is coming home.